Thankful to be back with you this morning. I pray the Lord's blessing upon each of us and on the service this morning that we would be able together to honor his name as we contemplate uh, his word. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 10, toward the end of the chapter, the apostle writes and says, But call to remembrance the former days, this is verse 32, in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance." Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him." The apostle here uses the word reward and says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Kind of a hard concept to grasp or issue to deal with for many believers, for many Christians, is this idea of rewards. The Bible speaks of rewards, rewards for the faithful in Christ Jesus, rewards for the children of God. In 2 John, verse 8, John writes by inspiration, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Much of the professing Christian world speaks of rewards as something that are earned or promises that are obtained that by doing the right things, we will receive the results that we desire. And this certainly is not the way the message is presented in Scripture. But neither does the Scripture deny that there are blessings that are received by the children of God as they pursue the path laid out for them in his word and by his direction and his working in their lives. And we have to be careful to understand this principle and careful with how we deal with it or it affects everything about the way we present the gospel and about the way we live our lives as Christians. Because this idea of a reward that is received in service to God is kind of an elusive thing. It's one of those things if if your purpose is to receive the reward, you'll never receive the reward. And God is not like men where we can deceive him and trick him into complying with our wishes. You know, sometimes we in life encounter opportunities to do acts of service or good works before men. And we do it in a way that we're self-deprecating and we put forth this false humility. But we play the game so that people will praise us and they'll say good things about us. And we're often able to deceive people into doing exactly that. Men and women who are exalted and have buildings named after them because of their charitable deeds or their good works or the things that they've done, there's always a sense of realization that what they did in some measure was to make a name for themselves. But God's not fooled that way. 
As a matter of fact, those who desire to be first, Christ says, are going to be last. And those who seek a low place are going to be told, come up higher. They're going to receive something more. So we need to get past this idea that we're going to trick God into giving us something that we feel that we've earned. And we need to get past this idea that our service to God is based on what we hope to obtain. And that really does come to the heart of the gospel message. When we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, we declare who God is. We declare who Jesus Christ is, his glory, his grace. And the focus is on him. And the impetus to follow Jesus Christ is not about what he's done for me or what he's going to do for me. It's about who he is. Because the faithful in Christ Jesus don't worship him because of what he has done, but because of who he is. And a faithful servant of Jesus Christ will say with Job, yea, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And some of that's encompassed in our text here in in the Hebrew letter, because what the Hebrew author is saying to these people is, you've experienced what it is to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. You've experienced suffering. You've experienced tribulations. He says you've understood what it is to have your goods spoiled for Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus called us to. What did he say to his disciples as he sent them forth? He said, if any man has left father, mother, sister, brother, houses, lands for my sake and the gospels, he'll receive in this life a hundredfold all of these things that he's lost and eternal life. But there's another word he uses in there, and that is affliction, tribulation. You lose all of these things and you suffer But there's a reward waiting for you. There's a song that says it will be worth it all when we see Christ. And that certainly is true. But the reality is it's worth it all right now. Because Jesus Christ is walking with us. Jesus Christ is directing us. And there's a measure of the blessing of his presence that's experienced by each of us as we confess his name daily. But the idea of this reward, as Jesus presents it and as the apostles write about it, this reward, he says, let no man beguile you of your reward. Don't have your reward taken from you. But how does that happen? It happens when we're caused to trust in anything or anyone other than Christ. And when we begin to pursue the reward, the blessings as the object and the goal and the measure of what we're doing. And we're all prone to this weakness. We're all prone to this weakness that leads to discouragement because we think if we do the right things, we're going to receive the results that we want. And that's no different than where the apostles were. They believed if they faithfully followed Jesus Christ, if they promoted his cause, they would see a kingdom established and they'd get to sit at the right and left hand of the the savior in his kingdom. They were looking for a natural kingdom. They were looking for natural rewards and benefits. That's why they had those conversations where John and James and Peter were discussing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. It's why Peter, I mean, James and John's mother came and asked Jesus, would you grant that my sons can sit one on your right hand and one on your left in the kingdom? They were looking for benefits. They were looking for rewards for their service. And to those who are seeking that kind of physical blessing, that kind of physical help, that kind of experienced reward, the message of the gospel is simple. You're not going to receive it. What you're seeking after, you'll never find it. But 
if you seek the Lord's will, if you with Peter can receive the rebuke of the Lord that says, get behind me, Satan, you savor not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. If you can embrace the will of God and seek God for his own glory's sake, then you'll receive the blessing, the blessing of living in his kingdom, the blessing of seeing him as Lord. The blessing of seeing everything going on around you, not with a carnal mind, not with a human mind that that sees all of the trouble and all of the trial and experiences it as pain and suffering, but rather what looks and sees the hand of God at work and rejoices that he is the king on his throne, that he's working his will and that none can question him and say to him, what doest thou? The reward that comes in following Jesus Christ is a reward that's hard to be described by mortal lips. It's hard to be understood by a carnal mind. You look at the Apostle Paul as he says, I've gained so much in the service of God. But what did he gain? He gained suffering, shipwrecks, beatings, afflictions, ultimately imprisonment, and finally death. But what does he say? I press toward the mark of the high calling of God that's in Christ Jesus. Not as though I've already obtained, but I press toward the mark. And what's he doing? He's sitting in a prison. Man would say he hasn't gained much. Where's the reward in this? But he says, I look for a crown of righteousness, which the Lord shall give to me. And not to me only, but all them that love his appearing. So contextualizing this idea of the reward that comes in serving Jesus Christ is important for every one of us. We pursue Christ because of who he is. We pursue him for his glory's sake. You say, well, surely it's something about what he's done for us or what he's doing in us. After all, the word of God says we love him because he first loved us. That's true. We do love him because he first loved us. But that verse, that text, that idea, it speaks not to a recompense for what he's done for us. We love him because of what he's done. Because he saved us, therefore we love him. No, the love that we have for Jesus Christ isn't dependent on us understanding what he did in a saving way. The way we are able to love him is because he's worked in our hearts, giving us a soft heart, a heart that's feeling, a heart that can see him, that can know him, that can savor him and love him. We love him because he first loved us. His act of love toward us that prompted that love is he gave us life and he gave us an understanding and he gave us the ability to cry out, Abba, Father, to him. He motivated that love in our hearts. So what does that say to us? Well, you don't get a reward for loving Jesus Christ as though you did it. And that really is the essential point. The Apostle Paul to the Corinthians says, What hast thou that thou didst not receive? You know, so many Christians in the world today want to say, Look at what I've done for the Lord. Here, Lord, look what I've done for you. Now reward me accordingly. The Corinthians had that kind of attitude, that kind of outlook. In fact, they looked at the Apostle Paul and they said, look at all of his suffering. God must not be pleased with him. He must have done something wrong or he wouldn't be suffering. Paul writes to them and he says, why are you boasting 
in the things that you've received. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the issue is addressed. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now ye are full, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. I would to God ye did reign, that we might reign with you. Paul says, you've received blessings, you've received wealth, you've received attention and power and the praise of men. And you're bragging about what you are and what you've done. You're patting yourselves on the back saying, this is my reward. Paul says, no, whatever you have, it's what you've received. So why are you going to glory in it? Why are you going to exalt your name? And the danger is that we as Christians, the, the nearer we come to a life of holiness, the nearer we come to understanding of God's word, our tendency is to boast in what we know or in what we've done. We, in our minds, say, well, now I understand God's word. I'm a theologian, and we're proud of that, that idea. I understand the, the, the system of theology. I can explain the doctrines and I can take on all comers, all challengers. We begin to pat ourselves on the back because we've done what we were commanded to do. After all, God's word says, what study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So we say, I've studied God's word. I know the word. I've done what I was commanded to do. And then we pat ourselves on the back. We say, I've accomplished something. I did what God said. God now owes me. And all of a sudden, we've lost our reward. There's no satisfaction. There's no peace. Why? Because we're exalting ourselves. And what's meant to be service to Christ becomes nothing but self-service. And all of a sudden, it's fleeting. It's vanished away. And this really speaks to the experience of nearly every congregation, every church in the history of the world. You see... Just like the church of the Ephesians that was birthed in, in great tribulation but, but found favor with God and rejoiced in the person of Jesus Christ and they bl were blessed and they prospered and they grew and believers were brought into the fold and the church grew and the church was in love with Jesus Christ and experienced great revival. They then look around and say, wow, we're doing pretty good. Look at all the seats that are filled. Look at the great preaching that we're hearing. Look at the great pastor that we have. We must be doing something right. God must really be pleased with us. And in a moment, decline sets in. Seats are left empty. The pulpit is vacated. The church doubles down as the Ephesian church did and says we're going to insist on doctrinal purity and accuracy and we're going to examine everyone that comes into our fold and make sure they're holding the truth. And dissatisfaction and bitterness prevails. And the word of God comes and says you've done a lot of things right. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. 
You've left your first love. What have you done? You've glorified yourselves at the expense of Jesus Christ. And somewhere as a Christian church, you've left Jesus on the outside. And like the other church, he stands at the door and knocks. What's wrong with our service? We're seeking after a reward. Tangible results. Results-based, pragmatic Christianity. There's no place for that in the kingdom of God. Because God is a jealous God and he'll have all of the glory for himself. So Jesus says, don't be like the Pharisees. The ones who make broad their phylacteries. The one who stand on the street corners and pray. And the ones who fast openly and make a big show. Don't be like them. Because they have their reward. The reward they have, oh, it's the praise of men. It's people who say, what a great, great example of a faithful servant of God this person is. What a great congregation. Look how many people. What a great preacher. They hear the praise of men and in that they find some satisfaction. Jesus says, don't be like them. They have their reward. But their reward is fleeting. And their reward is empty compared to what is promised to you. Who serve Christ for Jesus Christ's sake. Who study the word to know him better. Not to bolster your ability to argue or to prove or to defend. But to know Jesus Christ. Who receive his word as truth. Who receive his word as an instrument of sanctification, an instrument in your salvation, an instrument that draws you to him and exalts his name in you, and who receive every gift as a gift from God to magnify his name and not to lift ourselves up. And if we have that understanding, keeping Christ first, prioritizing his glory, And not trying to game a system to get what we want. Then what we'll find is we won't have all those things that our carnal nature desires. We won't find the praise of men. We won't find wealth and privilege. We won't find all the things the world seeks after. But what we'll have is something greater. We'll have a knowledge of our king. We'll have the assurance that comes from fellowship with him. And in the end, eternal life. What a blessing it is to know him and to be known by him. And that is the reward. That is the reward of everyone who calls upon him in truth, who relies upon him, who looks to him and seeks him in his word. And that's what Jesus calls us to. Thank you for spending this time with me and thinking about this this morning as we go forward in the service. We'll look more specifically, the Lord willing, at Matthew chapter 6 and what Jesus has to say about the openness of the reward that is found in serving Jesus Christ. Thank you.